I want you to open your Bible, please, to... This is a cornflakes message. There used to be this commercial about cornflakes years ago, and it was called Taste Them Again for the First Time, because cornflakes have been around since Moses. And so they, they were losing customers, and they, so they put this whole commercial out and said, Taste it again for the first time. And what I want to do today is I want you to taste a portion of Scripture again for the first time, because one of the things that I've been doing is I've been thinking about all these familiar Scripture verses that we think we know. Let me, let me put it to you in a, in a personal way, that I thought I knew. Uh, they make their way up onto coffee mugs and wall plaques, and if you go into a Christian store, it doesn't matter where you go in the country, actually anywhere in the world, if you go into a Christian bookstore, they have the same, there's like nine verses that they, they try to sell you. And uh, we all love them. I love them. Um, but I've been thinking about them in a different way because I've been wondering, is that what they really mean? And do we really understand them? And so that's what we're going to look at today. In the middle of this portion of Scripture is a verse that's very, very familiar. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah 29. It's uh, right about dead spot center in your Bible, right about there. Uh, it's on page 909 uh, in mine. If you don't have a Bible, they'll put it up on the screen. And, uh, but before we read this, can we just pray together? Holy Spirit, come. Because the truth is, without you, I'm just noise up here. So I desperately need you to take the meditations of my heart and the truth of your word and make it revelatory today. And just as Jesus invited us, so I ask that you will give us ears to hear. Because apart from you anointing our hearing, it's just noise. But today I ask that it will be different for us, that the lights will go on, and that by the presence of your Spirit, we'll have ears that really hear what you are saying to your people. And so we invite you to take over now, to grab our attention, and to give every one of us in this room a, an aha moment where all of a sudden we understand. And I ask you to do that in confidence and in faith, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, Jeremiah chapter 29, in the middle of this there's a very famous verse. It's been upon the wall of my home for many, many years. Uh, it was on the wall of my home when our house burned down. It will be on our wall again when we move back in. Beginning in verse 1, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah, Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had all departed from Jerusalem. So this is, so let me help you to understand a little context to get it. Israel has been absolutely ransacked and overrun by what is now modern-day Iraq. The primary leadership base of the entire country has been taken into captivity and, and, and removed from Israel. They left all of the commoners, but anybody who was an educator, uh, was a religious leader, was a political leader, uh, craftsmen, business owners, oh, you'll see all of the list in there, 
all of them had been taken captive and they removed them from, from, from Israel and they brought them into captivity and turned them into slaves. So that's the picture that's going on. I want you to think about that for just a moment. I don't know about you, but that would be a little bit disruptive to my world. Think about it for just a minute. Verse 3, the letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And I should get an applause for saying all those names correctly because I practiced all week long. Thank you. I just wanted to see if you were still breathing. Here's the letter. <laughs> Sorry, just had a flashback moment. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I've caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's the first uncomfortable issue, which is God caused it. <laughs> God was at the head of this, this grand disruption. And here is his word. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters and that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you nor listen to your dreams, which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I haven't sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work, word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Now here comes the kicker. This is what's in every Christian bookstore. This is what's up on the wall. You know this. Some of you can recite it by memory. Here it is. It's right on the screen. What does it say? For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I love that verse. The problem is it follows verse 1 through 10. <laughs> think about what the living God just told the people. Um, what you think is going to happen is not going to happen. But I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. For I know the plans that I have for you. You know, we're, we're at the end of a year. We're in that season where people begin to make New Year's resolutions. I, 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 for about a decade now, I've made the same New Year's resolution to make no resolution. Um, here's what I've discovered about New Year's resolutions. They're a lot like the Christmas presents that I can't remember what I got six days ago. 
Most of us can't remember what we resolved last year. World peace. But there's a reason that we can't remember. It's this. Life happened. Right? Life. Life happened to us. Stuff started happening. Stuff that we didn't plan on. Stuff that we didn't make inventory of. Just life comes at us in a hurry. Can, you, you understand? So, in spite of all of our good intentions, we lose sight very quickly of a resolution because life comes at us. And there are three foundational truths I want you to get before we get into the bulk of what I want to talk about today. And today's message, like I said, is kind of cornflakes. We're going to look at it again for the first time. And it's set up, as you can see from the outline, basically it's in good news, bad news form. Okay? But if the good news is that the good news, bad news, good news, bad news sequence ends with good news. So if you just hold on to the end and not fall asleep, we're going to be okay. All right, here we go. So there are three foundational truths that you've got to have, and we just need a little bit of a, a realistic check. Just a, a, a check on realism for just a moment. And I want you to think about it with me because whether you're a person of faith or this is your first time ever through the church doors, whether you're a seasoned saint, you're going to have to agree with these things. Truth number one is this. Life is messy because humanity is messy. Well, that was totally underwhelming. Can we just agree that life is messy? Why? Because humanity is messy. When I speak of humanity, I mean everybody but me. You know, all the people that aren't here right now. Nobody at New Life has a messy life. I mean, that's what happens to the people at Target. No, life is messy because humanity is messy. We are damaged and broken and needy and selfish and grumpy and unpredictable. And, and I'm just talking about me this morning as I was getting ready to come to church. This is what it says in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 14.4. I like it in the New Living Translation. I don't know if you can find that. I, I think I have it on my phone. I've been meditating on it all week. In verse 4, this is what it says. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. Now, I grew up on a family farm. We had always between 20 and 40 head of cattle, usually five to seven horses. And from the time that I was eight years old, I had to go out and, and clean the barn morning and evening, before school and after school. You say, eight years old? Yeah, what well, child labor laws. See, I grew up in Aroostook County. We had child labor laws. Here was the law. If you were a child, you labored. And... Uh, so I'd go out early. I'd be out in the barn at 5.30 in the morning. I'd have to clean the barn out, and, and guess what? And so I know what makes a barn messy. But if you want to have a full barn, you're going to have a mess. If you want to have a full church, never mind. Why? Because the truth is, Humanity's messy. Truth number two that I think is absolutely essential for us to understand in this kind of check on realism, if you will, and it's this. Even the most blessed life is never a charmed life. 
somehow we've communicated this idea, especially from Christian pulpits, people like myself and others, we communicate this idea that if you really know Jesus and you really follow Jesus and you really, really do it right, which is my way, if you do it like me, your life will be charmed. The problem is it's not true. (laughs) But there's a difference between the blessed life and the charmed life. The blessed life is a life that has the presence of God no matter what comes your way when it's messy. The charmed life is a fantasy. This is what Jesus said. This is Je- it's in red in most Bibles. I, I didn't know much about the Bible. I didn't know much about Jesus. But I figured, and listen, I'd, I'd failed enough exams in school that I knew if stuff was written in red, pay attention to it. So I read all the red stuff when I first got a Bible. It's written in red, John chapter 16, verse 33. The words of Jesus. I've told you these things, he said, so that you may have peace. Oh, yeah, by the way, in this world, you're going to have what? What's that? Mess. (laughs) Trouble. Difficulties. Stresses. Distresses. Setbacks. Heartbreaks. Challenges. But... Be of good cheer. Don't let those things dissuade you. I have overcome the world. And I'm in putting you in a training school for you to overcome it. You see, we need to really get this framed properly because if we believe that the blessed life is a charmed life, our dreams will crash. Truth number three that I think is absolutely essential, and I think that this will reverberate on the inside of you. And that's this. Every life, no matter who you are, will encounter unplanned interruptions. The stuff you can't plan. Every person had that this past year. I guarantee no matter who your life is, stuff happened this year that at the beginning of this year, you said, that wasn't on my radar screen. Anybody? Can anybody identify with what I just said? Anybody here? The rest of you are lying like dogs in the house of God. I'm just telling you. Everybody, every, <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I don't get to do this all the time. I, I get a few weekend passes a year now. Um, every life will encounter unexpected disruptions. I don't care how you live your life. Stuff will happen. The phone call will come. A diagnosis. A tragedy. A setback. A pink slip. Because life is messy. And whether you are a person of faith This is true all over the world. I guarantee you that every human being will come someplace in their journey. Some of you have been there already. Some of you might be there right now. Where you sit down and you slump your shoulders and you just hear yourself saying, it's not supposed to be like this. 
Can we be truthful today? It's not supposed to happen this way. If I had a dollar for every person that ever sat down with me and said, this isn't where I plan to be at this point in my life, my house would be rebuilt, (laughs) completely sprayed out in absolute fireproof material. Because every life will encounter things that are absolutely unexpected. That's exactly what happened to the people of Israel. They didn't think this was ever going to happen. They didn't believe the crash was going to come. Can you imagine building a business, prospering, life going on, moving forward with plans, making New Year's resolutions, seeing progress, 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 and then one day the whole thing crashes, the next thing you know, you're a slave in a foreigner's house with no hopes of getting out. That's an unplanned interruption. And when it happens, I've watched people move their lives in one of two directions. They move into, especially people of faith, they move into this place of kind of weird, um, uh, dismal fatalism where they say, well, mysterious are the ways of God. Who can know the mind of the Lord? God works in mysterious ways. They're trying to find a way to comfort themselves with what they can't explain. Or they move over this place a kind of shallow denial, thinking that somehow uh, all of this over here was caused by the devil and that the Lord's going to deliver me. So if I sing enough deliverance songs, it'll all go away overnight. That's a little bit about where Israel was. Because their prophets and their priests, their, their preachers of the day, in their own midst were saying, hey, everybody, I understand we're here and we're captives, but let me tell you what, tough times don't last, tough people do. If God is on your side, who can be against you? There's a victory day coming. They're preaching all kinds of great stuff like that. And people are dreaming dreams. If you think this isn't true, you didn't hear what we read earlier. They're dreaming dreams and waking up going, boy, I dreamed about being back in Israel and having our home back, and and man, it's got to be a word from the Lord. And in the middle of it, Jeremiah writes this letter. (laughs) And it's all set up in good news, bad news, and I want you to follow along with it. So in the context of this, and I understand that this seems like a really serious thing, but I promise you, we're going to end with some good news. This is what he says. First of all, good news. When life is not going as planned, God has a plan. That should be some good news for you. Because they're wrestling to say, where is God in this? And the message that Jeremiah brings is this, that when when, when life is going in a way that's unplanned, the unpredictable, be assured of this. God has a plan. That's what he's telling them. But then there's the bad news. (laughs) Here's the bad news. Most of us don't know what that plan is. Right? Okay, now listen. This 
This isn't a criticism, it's an observation. So I'll, I'll, I'll do it in, in okay. <clears throat> Back in the 90s, God help us, how, how do I survive the 90s? I burned all the evidence, um, the photographs, all of it. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on in the body of Christ, and there was this movement, and it was called WWJD. Some of you remember it, and you still have the stuff. You do. Don't, you have some, don't you? Never mind, Justin. Okay? WWJD. And they were selling bumper stickers, and they were selling and bracelets. Everybody had on a rubber bracelet. WWJD. And it stood for, what would Jesus do? And everybody, I mean, it was all over the, everywhere. You couldn't get it, go anywhere without it. And being the contrarian that I am, I didn't buy any of the paraphernalia, but I was riding on an airplane one day. And, uh, and I thought, I, 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 I can't help myself. I've got an hour and 45 minutes where I don't have anything to distract me. And I noticed that the stewardess had on a WWJD bracelet. So when she came to bring the refreshments, I just looked at her with a smile and I said, well, what would he do? And she said, who? I said, him. She goes, what? I said, no, who? She said, who? I said, him. She says, what are you talking about? I said, him on the bracelet. And she looked at me just absolutely deadpan. She says, oh, I have no idea. My friend just gave this to me. <laughs> and uh, pretty soon the whole fad passed. But I, I, and so I saw a lot of WWJD stuff on, on clearance. So I bought a bunch of bracelets for my staff. Because I figured, no, nobody really knows what Jesus would do, but they should know what Jeff should do. And it all works, WWJD. So I gave it all to the staff. And um, it didn't work so well. But Justin, if you look hard enough around here, there are, there's, I know, I, that's why I got you. Your name began with J, and you're left-handed. It had nothing to do with whether you can preach. You're left-handed. You're in your right mind, like me, therefore, here we are, WWJD, okay. And then shortly after that, Rick Warren wrote this great book, The Purpose Driven Life. Everybody was reading The Purpose Driven Life. And being the contrarian that I am, I began asking the question, well, what's your purpose? You're excited about the book, what's your purpose? They go, what are you talking about? I said, Purpose. I don't know what it is, but this is a great book. We're going to study it again. <laughs> for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. But most of us don't know what they are. Because most of us have no expectation. We have been enculturated to believe that God is a mystery. We can't ever really know what God has for us, but we're going to live in faith. That's what we call living in faith, is we're just going to blindly trust that God has a plan. We'll never figure it out because God works in mysterious ways, after all, and who can know the mind of the Lord? So if you ask the average person who's been going to church most of their life, tell me what God's plan is for your life, they will say, I don't really no. Can I help you to understand that if there is really a God in heaven, and I believe that there is, then to have a God in heaven who remains silent on those things 
is futile and cruel and abusive. You say, that's kind of harsh. Not really. Think of it like this. If I came to Justin and I said, hey, Justin, I've got some great news for you, brother. I've got awesome plans for you. I mean, your future's bright around here. See ya. <laughs> Would that frustrate you? If your boss did that to you and a year goes by, year goes by, year goes by, and you never know what the plan is, you would become frustrated and aggravated because the expectation is that if he's got a plan, you're going to learn what that plan is. But the bad news is most of us have no idea. Let's just be truthful. But the good news is God has one. The bad news is, most of us don't know what it is. The good news. I told you it's going to be good news, bad news. The good news is this. God really doesn't want to keep His plan a secret. How do I know that? Look at verse 12, 13, 14. Look at the verbs. Verse 12 begins with the word then. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, so as a consequence, this is your part. You will call upon me, and you will go and pray to me, and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me, and you'll find me. You'll search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. Do you see all of those verbs? Those are actions on our part. Because God really doesn't want to keep you and I in the dark about His plans. He really doesn't intend to keep it a secret. He wants to unpack it to us. He wants us to discover it. It says in the book of Proverbs that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to discover it. You see, in the book of Revelation, the Bible calls us kings and priests. Part of the process is, okay, so it's like this. God loves to play hide and seek. But He hides in places that we can find Him. Some of you do not enjoy life as much as I do because you're overthinking this thing. You see, don't, 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 don't listen. Didn't you play hide and seek with your kids? The, listen, bad parent, you hide in places that your kids can't find you. That's bad parenting. The object of the game is not to defeat and discourage your children to think we're just morons because we can't find him. That's not the object of the game. If you're doing it that way, bad parent. The object of playing hide and seek with your kids is to hide in plain sight where they can have the joy of discovering you. God loves to play hide and seek with his kids. He said to you, I've got plans. But the only way you're going to get into them is you've got to come do it my way. You've got to come find them. I want you to notice what the Lord says to Israel. He says, you're not going to go to your priest. You're not going to your prophet. You're not going to get it through that. You come and talk to me about it. You come find me and seek it out. Listen carefully. What is the purpose of living our lives in absolute 
confusion and in the dark. If God has a plan, and He does, don't you think it would be fun to discover it and to know it so that we could live in it? I told them in the first service because they were as enthusiastic about this message as you are. It's <laughs> too much to think about in between Christmas and New Year's, Pastor Jeff. Um, <laughs> I have this recurring dream, which for me is a nightmare, but it's a dream from heaven. You say, why is it a nightmare for you? Because it, it happens, it, it, it ends the same way. I have this dream where I go to heaven. I've had this frequently through my life, and I always know it's from the Lord. And I have this dream, and I go to heaven, and one of the angels of the Lord is showing me all of the magnificent places of heaven. And then there's this place off to the side, and the angel takes me there, and he opens the door, and he shows me these things. I said, what are all that? And in the dream, I say to the angel, what are all of these things? And the angel says, these are the things that could have been if you had only asked. And then I wake up. You say, that's from God? Yes. Just like the echo in your soul, when your life has come apart and you're sitting there saying, it's not supposed to be like this. That is an echo that you are intended to answer with this. You're right. It's not supposed to be like this. Which is why Jesus came. Because it isn't supposed to be this way. And there's a better way. So good news. God doesn't want to keep it a secret. The bad news. We only find His plan through His ways. <laughs> Not ours. You say, how do we find God's plan? We inquire it from others. We go and set an appointment with Pastor Justin. I'm just so, listen, I've had more fun in the last year and a half because people come ask me questions and I go, well, I think you need to make an appointment with your pastor. And then I go home, take a nap. It's been wonderful. Now you understand what's been going on for 18 months. You just got a revelation from Jesus. Thank you, Lord, you answered my prayer. One person got a revelation from Jesus today. Because we, 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 we have this sense that we can't ever hear from God. Can I help you to understand that the, the whole issue of the New Testament, of the coming of Jesus, is so that every man and every woman, regardless of education or position or status, whether regardless of intelligence or, or, or skill or ability or color or gender, all of those things are wiped away so that there is open access for every human being to come fully into the throne room of God and to hear what God has for their life. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ that whosoever will may come. No matter how broken you are, no matter how disheveled you are, no matter how many setbacks you have had in your life, no matter what strata of society you come from, there is an open invitation and a door that says you can come on in anytime because He shed His blood and paved that way so that you could come in boldly and say, what is it that you've got for my life? Because my life matters on planet Earth to you. And not only does He have a plan for you, but a plan for your family and a plan for your church. I'll talk a little bit more about that next week. I am talking next week, aren't I? 
I am now, I guess. <laughs> but we only discover it His ways. See, see okay, I'm going to give you the New Testament version of this so that you can frame it. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. Are you still with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, another one of those wall, verses that goes up on the wall. I told you I've been reading these things and studying them. Here it is, verse 9, chapter 2. Verse written. I love this one. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. If you're a space cadet, you love that verse. Is that too harsh? Not everybody that loves that verse is a space cadet. But the problem is we stop reading and we have no idea what verse 10 and 11 and 12 say. Here's what Paul is trying to bring out. It's this. Your eyes haven't seen it. It's, it, it. You're not going to get this by natural observation. By just looking at the horizon and studying humanity or, or just, just through your own, what you can take in. Your ear hasn't heard it. You're not going to get it by just, just horizontal communication with other human beings, seeking out experts, seeking out counsel, seeking out advice, going to a, going to a clinic, going to... Uh, a, 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 a conference, going to a gathering, if you're a real hyper-charismatic like some of us are, going to a prophetic conference with your little tape recorder so you can get your personal prophecy. I'm allowed to be a cynic. I've lived long enough. I'm all for prophecy. I believe in all of those things. But help me, let me help you to understand this. Here's what Paul is saying. Eye isn't seen. Your ear doesn't get it either. It doesn't come just through the, what we can do naturally by gathering information and making an assessment. You know, I, 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 woo-hoo, I have a master's degree in church growth and world missions. That nine bucks gets me a cup of coffee at Starbucks. I'm supposed to be an expert in how to make churches grow. I'm going to tell you how to make churches grow. There's, here's the big secret. This is, this is the whole thing. Welcome the presence of Jesus. He's very attractive all by himself. could have saved myself a lot of money if I had just put that down as my thesis. Eye is not seen and ear is not heard, nor has it even entered into your heart. You can't even dream it up. You see, while we know this verse, we don't know this verse because here's what we do. We have people make their own plans and get their ideas, and this is what I'd really like to do, and then we say, oh, God bless it, thinking that we have the plan of God. That, what Paul's saying, that doesn't work that way at all. Hasn't even been put in your heart yet. The things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But don't stop at verse 9. Move on to verse 10. But God, everybody say, but God, has revealed them to us. How? Through His Spirit. For His Spirit searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. Verse 11, so that we might understand it. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. That's great logic. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Don't miss it. Here is the express purpose for living a life filled and saturated with the Holy Spirit. So that, now this is the word of God. It's not me making it up. For what reason? Is Paul saying, 
that we receive the Spirit is from God, so that we might, what's the next word? Know. That we might know the things, what things? That God has prepared beforehand that your eye can't perceive, your ear can't hear, and you can't even think of in your own heart. The things that have been what? Freely given. I don't know. If that doesn't, if that doesn't push your buttons, then you need oxygen. Because God doesn't want to keep it a secret. He doesn't want to keep you all jammed up on the inside, just wrestling through life going, I don't know what God wants for my life. I hope I discover it someday. It's not that complicated. He gives us the gift of His Spirit to unpack it to us. We have to access it through His means and mechanisms. We can't get it just by going to one another, as good as that might be. Ultimately, there has to be this place where, as He says to Jeremiah, when you come to me and you call to me and you seek me and you search me. And can I just tell you, as our pastor told us so eloquently last year, you can't Google that. You won't get it off a Christian website. There are a set of ways that you can receive from God. And they're ancient ways, they're old ways, and they're uncomfortable ways because they are not natural to us. Things like this. Worship. Long seasons of just worshiping God. I know that somebody here is going to say, well, I'm not into that. Well, Bucky, you better get into it. Because the last time I checked, as soon as we get to heaven, we're going to be singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is and who was and who is to come. And from one corner to the other, thousands upon ten thousands, from every tribe and every tongue, the Nigerians are going to be there, the Russians are going to be there, the Ghanaians are going to be there, the Italians are going to be there, the French are going to be there, even a couple of Englishmen. (laughs) And we're going to sing and worship the Lamb. And then the angel Gabriel will stand up and say, second verse. Glory, glory, glory to the Lamb of God who was slain. Listen, you say, why worship? Let me help you to understand this. Worship is not just singing. Worship is to give worth to that which is worthy. The actual word worship comes from Latin, which means worship. It means to attribute the value to what is truly valuable. It's to ascribe value. The Hebrew word for worship means to draw near and to bend low. It means to bow down and to, not, to acknowledge that we are not supreme, but that He is. And let me help you to understand this. For someone to call themselves a believer and refuse to worship is the height of arrogance, because worship is the ultimate act of humility to say that He reigns and I do not. And what I know is this, God unveils Himself where He is welcomed and given worth. I remember something Pastor John said a couple of decades ago, and now that I'm not the preacher, 
I'm going to say it. It struck me to my core, and I believed it. But nobody had ever said it that way. He stood right here, and he said, if, any, if you have to miss anything on Sunday morning, miss the preaching, but never, ever miss worship. Why? Because worship is for him. The preaching is for you, but the worship is for him. And what I know is this, that when I'm in a church that is worshiping God with a whole heart, my preaching's great. I can preach on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and people get saved. Because when Jesus shows up, everything gets better. You want to find out what God has? You've got to be in the presence of God. Become a worshiper. Become a person who's not afraid of solitude. Which means you've got to unplug a little bit from, from life. Take the stuff out of your ears. Put down your phone. Well, I'm trying, but you're a tough crowd. I mean, not as tough as the first service, but man, help us, Jesus. Put aside all of the distractions. Walk outside and behold the heavens. Discover that birds still sing. One of my daughters has a wall plaque up, and she's had it for as long as I can remember. It's, it was written in, in the 1880s. A little girl has said, Come out into the garden with me and hear the flowers sing. Because the heavens declare the glory of God. Don't be afraid of silence and solitude. Spending time, you see, because here's the thing. God, God is not a microwave. He's into slow cooking. And I've discovered that it takes me times of solitude, even fasting. I hate fasting. I'm just going to tell you that. It, you know, I spent 10 years. I, I, I fasted out of obedience to the Lord. I was mad about it every time. It's like, this is the dumbest thing. I even, can't even believe you put this in the Bible, Jesus. I don't even know what this guy, all it does, it makes me mean, it makes me grumpy. Nobody wants to be around me. You know, everybody takes off their WWJD bracelet and throws it in the trash because I'm, I'm just like, there's going to be blood if they do what I say. Come on, let's be truthful. I hate fasting. But I discovered something. I discovered that in the process, I realized that just as my body was detoxing, you ever, ever, if you've ever fasted, I know some of you think fasting is going like, an hour without chicken wings or something, but I'm talking. But when you get into day two, you know, when you get in, you get a headache, you know, I mean, you want to brush your teeth like 23 hours a day because it just can't get the taste out of your mouth. You're actually physically detoxing from the poisons that have been put into your system through the food. You don't even know it, but that's what's happening. You're detoxing. But what I discovered was that the process of fasting, real fasting spiritually, was that I, my soul was also detoxing. And I realized that when I was being grumpy and angry, the reality was I already was grumpy and angry. And I was detoxing from it. Because I didn't realize I had all these things that I was angry about and frustrated about. And, 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 and I realized that, and so as I, as I, I moved into a dimension of of, of, of walking in that way where I would take a tablet and I would start writing out, on day two, I'd start writing out all the stuff that was detoxing from my soul, unforgiveness, negativity, unbelief, frustration with God, 
anger at Jesus because life wasn't going my way. And I would write this all down, and I would have to literally detox the poison out of my soul before I could ever begin to hear Him because it was all junked up. You see, these are ways that are uncomfortable to us. They're unconventional in modern world church because we're all interested in just giving people a great experience on Sunday morning thinking it's enough, and I'm here to tell you it's not enough. You see, the good news is God has a plan, even in the midst of the unplanned interruptions that come our way in life. But the way that we get that and the way that we discover that plan is unconventional to us. But He doesn't really want to keep it a secret from you. And the way that you discover it is through some ancient ways that are a little bit awkward in a modern society. I want to help you to understand this. God has a great plan for your life. God has a great plan for your family. God has a great plan for this church. There are things that He has yet to do that He wants to do. There is a room in heaven where it's already prepared. That's what the Bible says, what God has prepared before. It's there. It's in the storeroom. I don't want to be a person that gets to heaven and have them open the storeroom and say, see what could have been? I want to open the room and say, you got it all. <laughs> Anybody else? But guess how we're going to get it from there to here? It's through some ways that are not conventional in a modern technology world. But I assure you, here's my confidence. Here's the deal. I'll make a deal with you. How about that? A New Year's deal. After all, I'm only preaching a couple times here, and then Pastor Justin's got to clean it all up. I'll make a New Year's deal with you. You try what I'm talking about for one year. If it doesn't work, he'll give you your money back. I love my job now. I do. I love my job now. You need to make an appointment with your pastor. <laughs> um, I'm sharing this with you because I am passionately, passionately, passionately desirous for the people of God to become all that they are intended to be. And that an expression of Christian faith in our culture in our day to day is not of a disinterested God that you have to rub the right way and once in a while it all works out but of a genuine God who is there and who is personal and did everything required before heaven and earth to make it personal to you because He's got a plan and He wants you to discover it. And if you do, it will cause your heart to sing even when unplanned stuff happens. And when you become accustomed to the Word of God, to the Word of the Lord in your life, you grow in that sense. Now, can I just tell them one more thing and then I'm done? Years ago, I have a list somewhere, somewhere in the archives, along with the WWJD bracelets. I was meditating on John chapter 14. This is where Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and they will not listen to another. They will follow me. 
And I was, I was out on a long-distance run, and I was going along, and I can take you to the spot where I said to the Lord, I stopped in the middle of the road, and I said, Lord, I know your word, but I don't know if I can recognize your voice. And he said, you're right, and it set me on a quest. And so I read through the entire Bible, and I wrote down every way that God spoke to people in the Bible. I thought that was a safe deal until I compiled the list. Then I realized this is totally unsafe. Because I discovered that there were between 17 and 19 ways that God spoke to people. But here's why it was dangerous. I didn't believe in 15 of them. I can confess that now that I'm your, not your pastor. I, didn't believe, I, I was like, I don't believe that God speaks that way to people. But then I began looking back through my life and realizing that God had been speaking to me here and here and here and here and here and here. And because I didn't identify that God spoke to me in those ways, I had been missing His voice. And it put me on a quest to say, from here on in, I'm going to learn how you speak so that I can hear. So this past summer when our house was on fire and there were seven fire departments there and the flames were about 50 feet above the tree line, and uh, I, I had, on the inside, I had thought, it's, it's, it's all gone. We did what we could to try to suppress it, and uh, I was setting up uh, a couple of hundred yards from the house. It was, you could still feel the heat, and I realized I had some smoke inhalation from, from the process, and I was just sitting there in a chair and thinking, well, uh, we're well insured, and uh, I wonder what kind of house am I going to build, and uh, probably reduce the footprint. I, I mean, I was like in this weird zone. Mostly because it was 4.30 in the morning, and I'm never, Jesus doesn't want to talk to me at 4.30 in the morning. He certainly doesn't want me talking to him. It's like, <laughs> I tried being one of those morning prayer people, and Jesus said, go back to bed, Jeff, you're no fun at 4.30. Um, <laughs> just wait, wait until the afternoon. Um, and um, I was sitting there, and, I, and, I, and I, heard, I heard the voice of the Lord inside my heart, and I heard four words. And I knew it was Jesus. And in the midst of the grand disruption, I was at peace. People called me that day and they thought, why aren't you just wigging out? Your house just got torched. And uh, I really couldn't tell anybody because they thought I was needed drugs. I heard four words on the inside of my heart. The flames are going up. The fire departments are there. I could hear the chainsaws as they were cutting holes into the roof, trying to suppress the fire. And I, I, heard, I heard four words in my heart. And I heard the Lord say, you shall be blessed. Yeah, it's easy for you to say that because it wasn't your house that was on fire. <laughs> I said, you shall be blessed. I wish my response had been, hey, man, Jesus, I'm just so grateful to hear your voice. I went, what? <laughs> and he said it again. He says, you shall be blessed. I said, yeah, right. I'm just being truthful. But the good news is Jesus didn't kill me. He can handle the fact when he speaks to me, I'm still going there, yeah, right. How am I going to get blessed? Have you ever, you see, when we're in an impossible situation that we can't manage and we can't control, and then God breaks in with this word, but I've got a plan for you. I'm, you're going to be okay. It's really hard to receive sometimes because it looks impossible because it is impossible with us, but not with the one who not can just raise people from the dead. If there are no dead people around, he can make people out of dirt. Some of you do not enjoy life as much as I do. 
See, that, that helped me to reframe insults. When people would call me a dirtbag, I'd go, you're right. <laughs> I am. I'm a dirtbag. Yep. I'm just vacuum bait, but baby, here I am for the glory of God. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a future. Not to harm you, but to do you good. That the, those plans will make for your peace. What an incredible message in a very messy world called life. And this year, I want to pray for one thing for you. Not that you have a great New Year's resolution, but that this year you'd have a New Year's revelation what God's plans are for your life. So with expectation, I enter 2019 for New Life Church. What does God have in store? He's got it in the store. Stand up with me. Did that make any sense? All right. Well, bless God. I want you to put yourself in a posture of receiving right now. Here's what I know. In a crowd like this, there are lots of people that had a rough year. Some of you had a rough week. Some of you had to spend Christmas with people that you don't really like. Can I just be honest? Until I got married, I'm going to tell you this. Christmas were a disaster for me. They were, they were, Christmas was a terrible holiday for me until I got saved. I'm just being truthful. Gary Lynn will ask me sometimes, well, what, what, what you remember? No, I don't really remember Christmas as a kid. So I understand what it's like to just grind your way through it. But here's the good news. The God of heaven knows what he wants to do with your life. That's why you're here today. Every once in a while, people will say things to me, and I'll just smile. I say, I don't think, they'll say things like this. I don't know if God wants me, or I don't think God's interested in my life. Can I just help you to understand one basic thing? The only witness I need to know that God is interested in your life is this, that you're here today. Because if God wasn't interested in you, you wouldn't be here. Because the reason you got here is because He's been beckoning to you. And He's still calling to your heart. And even when your heart is saying it's not supposed to be like this, there is an echo that comes back to you from the voice of the God of heaven to say, you're right. But if you'll come to me, even in the midst of these unplanned, interruptions that sometimes take your breath away. I have a plan. And that plan is to bless you and to be with you and to do you good and never to harm you. But the only way we discover that is through the power and the gift and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. I don't understand Christians who are wigged out by the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit is the gift of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus said that when He comes, you don't need to be afraid of Him. He's just like me. He's going to take from what is mine, and He's going to give it to you. He's going to teach you, and He's going to guide you, and He's going to show you things that have yet to be seen. And you'll know it's Him because His presence will glorify me. What that means is this. One of the chief roles of the Spirit of God in our life is to make Jesus more real to us. Okay? The gift of the Holy Spirit is not supposed to make you weird. It's supposed to make you whole. 
magnify Jesus and to unpack his plans. So put yourself in a posture of receiving this morning. And I want to pray a very special prayer for you. There's not going to be an altar call this morning. But as a church community, don't you want to see have a revelatory plan from God this year for what God wants for New Life Church and your part in it? Don't you want to, don't you want to rather walk in faith toward what God has revealed so that you have confidence that God is going to be with you in it rather than just taking stabs in the dark? Why, if we are children of light, do we live like we're walking around in the dark all the time? So, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit upon your people, upon every life in this room, you love them, you care for them. Some of them don't even know why they've come here today. They've come here because you're madly in love with them. You want their life to be part of your grand tapestry in eternity. You've got a plan for them. You've got a plan for their family. You've got a plan for their home, their future. You've got a plan for their middle age. You've got a plan for their old age. You've got a plan for their children. You've got, and you have a plan for their church. You want to unpack it. So, Father, what I pray for for this year is the grand gift of the revelatory work of your Spirit in our hearts. Speak to your people, O oh Lord, in ways that we get it and we just know it's you. Lord, I give you permission even though you don't even need it. You can speak to us anytime you want to. You can talk to us in the middle of a Patriots game this afternoon. You can talk to us when we're driving to work, when we're having our morning coffee, when we're lying in bed at night, when we're watching reruns because we can't sleep. You can speak to us and we can hear you. And I pray for a confidence to come into the hearts of every man and woman, a little glimmer of hope that the God of all creation has a plan for me and I can get to know it. Let that settle on the inside of their heart so that their life and their faith comes alive. Father, I pray a really big audacious prayer and I ask you, Holy Spirit, all over New Life Church, break in in dreams and visions. Give a specific plan direction that we can run with it and know that you have a plan. Let it be so, Lord Jesus. Can God's people agree to that today? Amen. We love you. Happy New Year. You're welcome. You're welcome. God bless you all. Have a great day.